How are you guys doing today? Good, good. I love singing that song, Christ Alone, and how he's our, our cornerstone. And how there's churches all across the globe this morning that are, that are meeting and praising the same Savior, the same God, sharing in the same baptism, the same faith. And it's just such a wonderful truth to be able to sing. And we actually have a mission team uh, that is in Nicaragua right now that our lead pastor, Pastor David, is leading. And they are having a great time so far. And they are, in just a couple hours, getting ready to, to do church uh, down in Nicaragua and, and to praise the Lord with our brothers and sisters across the globe. And we're so excited for them. We've been praying for them. And I just wanted to share... A little message that Pastor David sent to me this morning, uh, just to fill you guys in on what they're doing down there and uh, what they've been able to see just their short time uh, that they've been down there. He said, our team is doing really well and bonding well. God has allowed us to see four people baptized already. We've attended a wedding and celebrated the first anniversary of a new church that Pastor Omar's church started during the pandemic. He said, they truly understand what it means to make disciples. He said, today we're celebrating the fifth year anniversary of Pastor Omar's church. We're leading children's and men's Bible studies, preaching in church, and helping ordain Pastor Omar this afternoon. Tell everyone, thank you for the prayers, and we can feel the prayers, and we appreciate the love, and we're praying for you guys. And so I just wanted to share that update with you, that you would continue to pray that the gospel would be shared, souls would be saved, and they would continue to do the, uh, the work of the Lord down there in Nicaragua. We're super excited for them. And just one other quick announcement for you, and then we're diving in this morning. Uh, if you want to submit, if you're a member here of the church and you want to submit your nominations for deacons or trustees, you can do that out at the welcome desk, and those are due back by July 9th. So if you would like to do that and participate in that, make sure you do that by July 9th. Uh, so we're going to jump into our passage today. We're going to pray for the mission team, and then we're going to start our morning in the Word. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that we got to step into this moment and to praise you and to just be reminded of the truth that we should, we should abide in you, to enter into your presence and to just stay there and to worship you and to spend time with you. And I pray that in these next few moments, that's exactly what we would do, that we would abide in the presence of your spirit and that you would speak to us and minister to our hearts in ways that only you can and that you would do things that only you can do. I pray that you would be with our mission team down in Nicaragua as they minister at Pastor Omar's church today. Would you just grant them safety and protection throughout their whole trip and in traveling and all the things that they're doing, Lord? Would you empower the team who is ministering to this church as they share testimonies and lead Bible study classes? And as Pastor David preaches, would you just fill them with your spirit so that they can accomplish your work? And Lord, we pray for all the churches across the globe that are meeting today, those facing persecution, those meeting just like ours, wherever they may be, Lord. We just lift them up to you and pray that your gospel would be proclaimed, no matter what denomination or, or any other particulars, Lord, that your gospel would be proclaimed and that souls would be saved across the world today, Lord. And we pray all of that in your name. Amen. So today we're going to be talking about the topic of work and work relationships. Uh, I entitled this sermon, Who's Your Boss? Who's your boss? So if you want to write that down in your notes, you can. Uh, but as we think of the topic of work, I feel like when I hear people talk about work these days and they talk about their job, uh, often people talk about their work as more of a burden than a delight. It seems like more people are burdened by what they do than necessarily uh, delighted, right? If you gave people the option to change their career, to make the same amount of money, same benefits, everything's the same, but they get to change their career, I feel like a lot of people would say, yes, I have this dream job, this thing that I would love to do. And as many of us are just trucking along in the nine to five because it, it pays the bills or, or has good benefits. But this morning, 
Hopefully, you will be encouraged by this passage if you find yourself in a situation at work that is less than ideal, or maybe there's a difficult situation going on. Hopefully, the Lord will encourage your heart uh, this morning. But as we approach the topic of work, and then we look at this passage, it's important for us to understand that as we think through things with a biblical worldview, work is a good thing. Work is a gift that has been given to us by God, and God has actually created you and I to work. If you look at Genesis 1, and if you were to study and spend some time in there, you would see that Adam and Eve aren't just placed in the garden, in this perfection, in the harmony that we see in Genesis 1 and 2. They're not just lounging around or or floating down a lazy river. God's actually put them there to work, to subdue the earth, to name the animals. They're doing work before the fall. Work's not a bad thing, but it's a good thing given to us by God. And we look to the New Testament, we would see that our identity in Christ would tell us that work is not our savior, nor is it the center of our life, but our identity in Christ would tell us that work is a good thing when it's done for the glory of God. So our passage this morning is going to speak to the attitudes and the motivations that Christian employees and employers should have in their work life. So if you're an employee, employer, or you find yourself doing any kind of work in this life, this passage is for you. So let's jump in and read in Ephesians chapter 6. Should have told you that a little bit sooner. I'll give you just a second to get there. Uh, If you're there, say, I'm here. Here. There you are. There you are. There you are. So we're going to go Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. It'll be on the screen for you as well. It says this. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus. He says, bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, verse 9, do the same thing to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. And that's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. And as we look at this passage, there's a little bit of an issue here, uh, or it seems like an issue that I feel like we shouldn't leave unaddressed. If you look at the passage and you look at the word bondservant, you'd say, well, what exactly is a bondservant? We don't often use that language in our culture today. If you look at other translations, you study a bondservant is simply just a slave. And you would ask the question then, I feel like it, it logically follows in this passage. If this is talking about slavery, and Paul's writing to slaves, why doesn't Paul in this passage condemn slavery? Why, why doesn't he say anything in this passage about how slavery is wrong? He just, he just writes to them, and then, then he ends, and then he, he moves on. And if you look at our American history, you see that our, our country has done many great things, right? We've helped stop world evil. We've provided humanitarian aid. We step in in a lot of situations and do a lot of good things. And, and we know our country has done good things. But also, if you look at the history of our country and you study, you will see that slavery, segregation are awful, cruel, evil realities that rest on our nation's history. It's a part of where we've been. And so you wonder, and also if you study our nation's history, you'll see that the Bible oftentimes was used by wicked men to justify slavery. And so you you sit here and you're just like, Paul, if you would have just written something. You could have helped us. You could have stopped a lot of different things from happening. Uh, And so I think that's the question, and I want to just give uh, a couple thoughts of maybe why we don't see a, a just explicit condemnation of slavery in this text. And the first, I think, is important for us to understand the differences in the slavery. And I won't spend too much time on this, but the differences in the slavery. When we hear the word slavery, we think of our American context, where it was solely based on race. 
The slaves that were brought into America, they were viewed as less than human, and they were enslaved because of their skin. People thought because they were white and they were something else that they were better than them and that they had the right to enslave them. The slaves were viewed as property and not humans. They were treated as less than an image bearer. It was a terrible thing. And in America, slaves had no chance of freedom. It was not an opportunity that they could look forward to for freedom. What we celebrate with Juneteenth, Juneteenth, the emancipation, was not really an option for so many years. But in Paul's culture, there's some differences. The, the slavery was not race-based. Anybody could be a slave. Often, slaves were uh, prisoners of war or they were somebody who was paying off a debt. You could even choose to be a slave. Some people were sold into slavery by their parents or they, they entered into slavery because they were an orphan. So it was not race-based like our American slavery was. In Paul's culture, slaves had a high chance of being freed from slavery, usually at the age of 30, and often when they became free, they were made Roman citizens, citizens of the Roman Empire. So the the slavery was a little bit different in that time, uh, but we would still say, biblically, the concept of slavery is wicked and sinful. You cannot own another person. So we, we might say, oh, it's a little bit better, but it's still not right. Slavery is evil, it's wrong, unjustifiable in any circumstance ever, right? But I want to give you a few more thoughts. You say then, okay, why doesn't Paul say anything? Well, I'm not Paul, but I could point to you to three more things. Christians in that time were a political minority. They had no power. The Christianity in that time was viewed as unlawful, and they had no political power whatsoever. Most people estimate that one-third of the people in the Roman Empire were slaves, and Christians were a small portion of the Roman Empire. And so Paul and the early church, they had no power to end slavery. Their voice was irrelevant, and no one was saying, I wonder what the Christians think about this. Number two, you could also make the argument, or number three, that Paul's words in this passage and in other places of the New Testament, it's the seed of the undoing of slavery. In that culture and our culture today in America, you see that the ending of slavery was brought about by many Christians because of the teachings of the New Testament. You could argue that the New Testament kind of takes this approach, outward uh, or inward to outward change. The gospel first transforms the heart of the individual, then those individuals go out and transform their culture. So Paul first is tackling the issue of sin and the gospel need in everybody's heart, and then those people will go out and be the change in the culture. Still somewhat the model of justice that we would see and we should pursue today in our culture. And number four, Paul is writing to Christians in this society. In this letter, in this book, he's not writing to the political leaders. They don't care what Paul says. They're not going to read this letter. He's writing to the Christians who find themselves in a context where the master-slave relationship is a reality. And he's trying to show them how the gospel changes that relationship, how their new life in Christ transforms what was common in the culture. And so we're going to see that today. So hopefully... That helps answer the question, why doesn't Paul outright say something? There's many different factors, and one day you can ask Paul in heaven why he didn't say anything. Uh, But the pastor, uh, Alistair Begg, he's he's a great pastor, and he says this. In this passage, the particulars are unique, but the principles are timeless. In America today, slavery is not a, a, a common reality. 
Uh, but the principles in this passage we can apply to us today. So as we work through this passage, I'll mainly be applying this passage to the employee-boss relationship because I think that's most relevant for most of us. So we'll see, number one, first and foremost in this passage as we transition to the passage that uh, we'll see exhortations to employees. He talks to employees or slaves first. The wider context of the book of Ephesians is important. We said last week or a couple weeks ago when I preached on the passage of marriage in Ephesians, Ephesians 5, that Paul is writing to new Christians. He's writing to new Christians who are supposed to be patterned by a new lifestyle because they're saved. They're supposed to be doing things that they didn't once do before they were saved. And he writes to them a couple uh, charges in chapter 5, verse 15 and 18. In verse 15, he tells them to look carefully how they walk. And in verse 18, he tells them not to get drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. These believers were supposed to examine their lifestyle and to make sure that it aligned with the gospel of Jesus Christ that they had received when they became saved. And he also tells them that the Holy Spirit is to be the foundation of all that they do. For any relationship that they're going to have in life, the Holy Spirit's power and presence was needed. And so he's doing this again in this passage. Passage. These truths were to impact how the Christians are to interact with those that they work with and to change their perspective on work in general. I would say it like this, new life in Christ brings a new perspective in life. If you have a new life in Jesus here today, then you have a new perspective in life. You do not view life like the rest of the world views it. You do not view your work and your work relationships the way other people who don't have Christ would view it. And so he gives us a few challenges. He gives us a few calls. And if you're a boss, you're going to like some of these. So uh, you should listen. He first calls us to obey our bosses. Pretty simple, right? You should obey your employer if you are an employee. But obedience is hard, isn't it? Right? When we have children, what do we have to train them in? Obedience. We don't have to train them to be disobedient, but to be obedient because it goes against our nature. But as Christians, if we've been saved, if we've been transformed, then obedience should flow out of our hearts because we've been changed. We're different. And so as Christians, we obey those above us. But Paul adds something to the command. He says in uh, verse 5, he says to obey with fear and trembling in a sincere heart. And you read that and it's a little bit of an awkward verse. Because you're kind of like, okay, I obey, but now do I obey with fear and trembling? Like when my boss walks by or when I'm on a Zoom call, do I have to like sit there shaking in fear? Is that what the Lord is calling us to do? I would say, no, it's not. If you look at the, the New Testament, when fear and trembling are coupled together in a passage, it carries the idea of deep respect or a high level of respect. The NLT version would translate this, uh, obey your masters with deep respect in fear, which I think kind of brings the, the idea that Paul is getting at. A Christian employee should carry a high level of respect for those above them. It, it should flow out of our, our changed heart. And he also says that we obey with a sincere heart as we do Christ. And this is getting to the heart of everything that Paul is going to say here. We as Christians don't begrudgingly like obey our bosses saying, oh, this is just, just something I have to do because if I don't, I'm going to get fired. Or man, I just, I have to obey because that one verse in scripture that says obey your master, so I just got to do this. But we as Christians obey with a heart that is sincere in the obedience as if we are obeying Christ himself. When we do our job, when we do our work, we are obeying as if we're doing it for the Lord. And in verse 6, he talks about pure motivations or pure intentions behind our 
actions. He says we shouldn't work or obey by the way of eye service or as people pleasers. Eye service carries the idea of only working hard when somebody's watching. Only really doing your job when somebody's eyes are on you. Uh, a couple years ago after a, uh, a Sunday service, Jesse and I went out to eat at uh, Olive Garden. Uh, side note, Olive Garden, overrated. And uh, another side note, Italian food, overrated. Another side note, other than pizza, because I'm a youth pastor and we love pizza, right? Uh, so la- leave all that aside, do with that what you will. Uh, but so we're at Olive Garden and we all know uh, we all know you go out to eat and sometimes you can't help but overhear the conversations at the surrounding tables. It just, it just happens. So, and sometimes they're really interesting and you just kind of key in for a little bit. And it so happens a, a guy next to us was out to eat with some friends and he was a youth pastor and he was sharing about his, his new job with his friends. And I was like, okay, I got to listen to some of this. And so the guy began to share and he was talking to them, telling them about his new job. And he was saying, yeah, I have, I have these set office hours like nine to five, but I show up an hour early and I stay an hour late every single day. So everybody knows I'm a hard worker. Wow, man, better man than me. Uh, You know, like you do you. And then he also says, uh, yeah, the church told me to to park behind the building, but I park right out in front by the road so anybody driving by can see my car and know that I'm working hard and they know I'm at the church a lot. And I, I thought of that story as I was looking at this passage because I think that gets to the point of what Paul is saying. The Christian worker is supposed to work from pure motivation, not motivated by someone seeing you and thinking you work hard, not motivating because you want to please people, you want people to see your work and give you recognition. We work with a sincere heart knowing that we're working for Christ. And if our work is motivated by pleasing somebody else or somebody else seeing us, we're missing the point. Instead, Paul tells us that everybody is a bondservant to Christ and that we should be doing the will of God from the heart rendering service with goodwill as to the Lord and not to man. Our work is not done for other people, but the motivation for a a hardworking employee or someone who obeys their boss is the sincere heart and the ultimate fact that we're working for God and not man. That your ultimate boss in life is not whoever is above you, but Christ himself. And all of our work is done for him. Many people are motivated by eye service. If somebody's watching, they'll crush it. If there's a camera out, they'll do a good deed. But as soon as those people are gone, as soon as the camera is turned off, the hard work goes away. And that should not be true of Christians because we ultimately render our service to Jesus. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for Christians? Well, this means this. You could have a terrible boss. You could have a mean boss. You could have a hypocritical boss. You could have a fill-in-the-blank whatever that boss is. And that should not affect the way that you do your job. Because your motivation, your attitude, is that you're doing it for the Lord. We cannot use the excuse that the people around us or the people above us are causing us to do less at our job. Causing us to not work as hard because, as hard as it is, to remember our job is for the Lord. Our motivation is to love, please, and glorify God in everything that we do. It also means that it really doesn't matter if someone's watching you or if you receive praise for your action. Teenagers especially need to listen to that. You should not only work when someone's watching. We work all the time. And it also means this. It doesn't matter what kind of job you work, to a certain extent, as long as it's not sin. That it doesn't matter if it's a, an attractive job or a celebrated job or, or a high position in your job or if you work a boring or, 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 or kind of like just, ah, I'm just doing this job to get through right now. It doesn't matter what it is. It all can be done for the glory of the Lord. 
Whether you love it or you hate it, you're indifferent to it, or you know you're moving on, you can do it for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 on the screen says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of the Lord. Your work in this life is done for the glory of God. You do not work ultimately for a man or a woman, but for God himself. And he says in verse eight, he says this, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And we need to remember the context of of slavery here. Many of the people that Paul was writing to likely would never hear a thank you for what they did. Likely they would never get the the pat on the back or the good job, you're doing a great job. They would never be rewarded in this life how they probably should have for their hard work. But Paul is encouraging them with this truth. He's saying even though you might not or you might go unnoticed by the people around you, God sees you. And God not only sees your hard work, but he will reward you for that hard work. He will bless you for that hard work. Not necessarily in this life, but we know for sure in the life to come. Because 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one receives what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And so Paul is encouraging these slaves in this context to, though they are in a sinful context that is not right, they could be confident in the fact that God sees them, he sees their hard work, and will reward them for what they're doing, though they might be mistreated, which is terrible, but he's saying, God sees you. And for us today, the same thing is true. Though you may never get the praise or recognition that you deserve at your job, Though someone may not ever come alongside of you and say, you're doing a great job, I appreciate you. You can work knowing, one, that God is watching, but knowing, two, that he will see your good works, he will see your effort, and he will reward you one day. We can stand before him and know that he will reward us and know that he's seen our good works. We don't work for man. We don't work for people for eye service, to please others, but we work for our Savior. And now we'll move to the exhortations to the employer. Now, if you're an employer in this room, you might be sitting here and you're saying, man, you're you're the boss lady, you're the boss man, and you're saying, I need to send this passage to my employees. I need to send this sermon to them because they need to hear this. They need to hear that they're called by God to obey. I would say, easy, buckaroo. You're not getting out this easy. Listen, verse nine, right away, what does he say? Masters, you do the same to them. Boss, you do the same. (laughs) You do the same. He says to the masters, everything I just told you, slaves. He says to the boss, everything I just told your employees, you do the same. The same level of effort, the same level of attitude, uh, the same kind of attitude, the same motivation, dedication, the same love, anything that I just said to your employee, you are to do the same. You say, why? Just because you have the title of boss does not mean that you aren't a servant of Christ. You still do your work for the glory of God. You still, yourself, though you are a boss, though you are high up, are a servant to Christ. And on a practical level, if you're an employer and you desire for your employees to embody certain traits and characteristics, you should model those yourself. I would say, I think people say that what's at the top trickles down. So whatever starts at the top will find its way down. 
So if you work hard, if you have a good attitude, if you serve with a sincere heart, you can expect that to trickle down to your employees. Some people would say it's better caught than taught. That yes, you can tell your employees everything that you expect of them. Tell them this, tell them that, but what's also important is that they see you model that. And so they can look at the way that you serve, look at the way that you work with a sincere heart for the glory of Christ, and they can strive to model that and emulate that in their life. If they see you working for the glory of God with a sincere heart, that will inspire them to step up and to do the same. Nobody likes to work in a do as I say but not as I do culture. And so you as a boss, guard against that. Make sure that you are working for the Lord and serving him and doing everything for his glory. Paul goes on to say, stop threatening, knowing that he who is their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality within him. And you see how these words could have been spoken into the context of the time. Paul's talking to the Christian masters. Though they might have slaves, they should never threaten those under them. He says, you might have this position of authority, but you should never be abusive with that. You you might have this, this position that's been granted by somebody, but in the grand scheme of things, God is in heaven and he sees you and the slave as the same. And you can see how Paul's words were counterculture to that time. God doesn't love the boss any more than he loves the employee. And so if you're a boss and you lead people, it's important for you to remember this. The fruit of the Spirit should guide your leadership. Gentleness, love, patience, kindness. You should not be known for being a harsh boss or a cutthroat leader. That is unchristlike and unbiblical. It's not what you're called to do. You're called to stop threatening, to stop having that spirit of harshness. You say, oh, I I read this book or I listened to this podcast. So what? Scripture calls you to the fruit of the Spirit, to walk as a Savior, to wash feet and serve. So don't think because you have a position of leadership and that God favors you anymore. Don't confuse position with favor and status with God's love and approval over the way that you're living. Because Christianity, at the start of it, in the the first centuries, when the church was formed, they were a minority in their culture. They were persecuted, but that did not mean that God's favor did not rest on them. And so we can't use our positions of authority in this life to, to, to lord it over somebody, to abuse somebody, or to be harsh to somebody. We should be different. We're all called, whether employee or employer, employer, to render our work as if we're doing it to Jesus because we really are. All of your work, all of your leadership is to Christ. So it's done for him. So I'll close with this. Maybe we're getting out early. <laughs> we'll see. But I'll close in this. We'll see, what, see what Matt does. Uh, and uh, we'll see this. Uh, I want to say these three things. It'll be on the screen. Christian employees should be different. Christian employers should be different. And Christian workplaces should be different. We've been uh, getting ready for summer camp. And part of the, the, the summer camp prep is students have to fill out a participation form and they have to get it notarized. And so they have to go to a notary and the notary puts their, their stamp of approval on everything in that form. 
that the person filled it out in front of them, signed it in front of them, and that the, the information is correct. And, and that form carries the weight of that notary's stamp. And if, if you think about it this way, if you claim to be a Christian, or you claim to have a, a, a Christian workplace or a Christian ministry, you were putting the stamp of Christ on that. And so if you're walking around your work and claiming to be a Christian, telling people you go to church, or you're claiming to have this ministry or this workplace, then that thing or that person should reflect Christ. Your actions and your attitude and the way that you talk to people and the way that you love people and the way that you work should reflect Christ. Because you have his stamp, you are an ambassador of Christ. So we should be different than the rest of the world. We should be different. Maybe you don't have to be as skilled as your unsaved coworkers. You don't have to be the best boss in the world. But you just have to be different because you are, because Christ has transformed you. The whole book of Ephesians is talking about this transformed life, transformed heart, transformed perspective. You are different if you're in Christ. So you should live different. So you should be a different employee or employer. You should not look the same as the rest of the world. I would ask you this. Would those that you work with be shocked if you invited them to church? Would they be shocked if you invited them to a Christmas service or to an Easter service? They'd say, are you serious? That guy, <laughs> the most prideful guy in the office is inviting me to church? I, did, I would have never guessed he went to church. That lady, she hates her life, hates her husband, hates her job, and she goes to church? She's a Christian? You see how our life can be very hypocritical and it could turn people to Christ or away from Christ. And so look at the way that you conduct yourself in your workplace, on the Zoom calls, in the office, whatever you do. Look at the way that you lead your employees, the way that you treat your uh, customers. Would they be shocked if you said, hey, come to church with me? The Holy Spirit makes it so clear, and I've said this, but he makes it so clear in the book of Ephesians that Christians are transformed. And that transformation, it, it should be present in every area of our life. Every single area of our life should progressively transform and conform to the image of Christ. You should not, and all of us do, but we should not have these areas or pockets of our life that we don't give to the Lord. So yeah, I'm transformed in this, I'm transformed in that, but what I do on the weekends, man, <laughs> it's not like that. And so we should all look at our life, get a whiteboard or a piece of paper and write out all the different areas of your life, all the different circles that you run in and out of and ask yourself honestly in each one of those, am I conforming to the image of Christ or to the image of the world? What areas of your life do you need more gospel in? So I said this a couple weeks ago, the gospel is just not a truth that you hear once, that you get saved from and then you move on, but the gospel is what continually transforms you. You never graduate from the message of the gospel. You never move on from the gospel. The gospel is not only for baby Christians, but for all of us. And so ask yourselves, where can I grow in the gospel? Because we all have blind spots. We all have holes. We all have areas of sin that we need to conform to the image of Christ in. 
So that would be my challenge in this next song as we sing, yes, praise, yes, worship, yes, raise your hands, do all that, but spend time in reflection. Spend time in reflection asking where the gospel needs to be more present in your own life. Can we do that? Let's do that. Let's pray.